Welcome back to Finnegan's Take. This is Conversation 7. Jerry is becoming one of the most effective cops in Chicago by piling up illegal gun seizures. But he's also accruing complaints. To this day, he remains the record holder of complaints in the city of Chicago since they began compiling these records. These complaints become more than a nuisance. They begin to build a box that Jerry is stuck in. A box the higher-ups are happy for him to be in because he makes them look good. Keep it up, kid. The numbers are great. Don't stop what you're doing. When you were in this 7th district again, you came back there. Were there complaints against you during this journey of getting an enormous amount of guns off the street? Did you compile complaints? If, if so, like, how did that work? Tell me a little bit about the complaint process, how you find out about it, what it means for you. Is it expected? Just give me your journey with complaints. Of course. Yeah, I compiled complaints. Some guys didn't do anything, so they didn't get any complaints. They were officer-friendly types. Hello, how are you? Have a good day. That was the extent of their communication with the public. But we're down and dirty with the gangbangers every day out here chasing them, looking for them, recovering guns, recovering dope not making people happy. Nobody wants to be stopped by the police, whether they're good people or the bad people that we were dealing with. These guys were the majority of them were hardcore gangbangers. I wasn't stopping Mrs. Johnson, who was a normal citizen and churchgoer and nice person. I was stopping the dudes out here who were thug gangbangers and perpetuating this stuff and this violence on their own people in their own neighborhoods. So you cannot make them happy. You're grabbing them. You're getting them for drugs or you're chasing them down and get them up because they run with drugs or guns. Sometimes they don't want to cooperate and be handcuffed. So you're tussling with them. And whether you get roughed up or they get roughed up or both get roughed up, you're going to get complaints. And even if it doesn't happen that way, you're still going to get complaints. Chicago had a system at one time where you could lay in your bed anywhere and call the Office of Professional Standards for Internal Affairs and lodge a complaint against the police officer, whether it was true or not. That changed, and the police department required you to sign an affidavit stating that, in fact, those circumstances happened in your interaction and what you're alleging, and you had to sign that under the perjury of prosecution if you lied. So a lot of guys wouldn't sign those or a lot of women wouldn't sign those because if they got caught up, they could be prosecuted. So caught up lying, I'm saying. Complaints went down a little bit when that came around. But previous to that, it was very easy to make a complaint. You didn't even have to go on the station. You'd just call and make a complaint over the phone. You would get, like maybe a month later, notified of the allegation against you and you would have to sign a piece of paper form set given you by a supervisor and the allegation would be in there. And then you would have to tender a report, a written report of your side of the story. Or sometimes if it was very serious, you would have to go give a statement, a written statement to an internal affairs investigator, uh, which was a police officer or the Office of Professional Standards at that time, civilian investigator. Yes, you would get complaints against you. Some of them probably were valid. A lot of them were not. But people did not like being stopped. 
They didn't like having their person searched or their, their vehicle searched uh, or their homes, so they would complain. A lot of them were BS. Some of them were not. They were valid. But you did not admit to them being valid because it's a game banger. So they're going to lie, and you're going to lie. So in your report, you tell the side, it clears you. You're going to give you know the foundation that you're doing everything by the book. You're not breaking any laws. How do you learn this when you have an allegation against you, your first one? Are you concerned? Oh, of course. Or do you know you're always going to skate out of it because it's your word versus a gangbanger? Well, yes, that. But of course you're concerned. If it's something like you knock somebody's teeth out, um, that's a tough one to cover. Punch somebody in the gut, it's not going to show. So the main thing is, you know, you're going you're gonna to deny it. Never punch them in the stomach. And I'm not talking good people, you know. I'm talking gangbangers who are carrying guns, shooting at other people on the street, even though they could be gangbangers. Sometimes they're not. They're innocent victims. But these guys now all of a sudden are altar boys. They are pillars of society when they're involved with the police. Uh, they turn it around. A lot of times on the allegations, guy's going to say you punched him in the stomach or in the ribs. Yeah, you did. He's fighting with you on the street or resisting or he's an asshole and, you know, he's going to try to make a fool out of you on the street. So you're going to make him pay for it. So when it comes down to it, you're going to have to make that report out, call it to from. So that's to your commanding officer and it's from you. And then you get the body of the statement in there, some paragraphs. And you address the allegations or allegation. 99% of the time, yeah, you're lying. You know, you're going to cover your ass. You're not going to lose your job or your freedom because some thug gangbanger says you punched him in the stomach because he ran with a gun. The rule of the street is, and I don't know how that's everywhere else, but in Chicago, if you ran from the police, you got an ass whipping. That's just the way it was. And that was citywide. If you didn't make the police chase you, it went a little easier on you. But if you're running, jumping fences, and getting everybody sweated up, and then you're going to resist, you're going to get an ass whipping. And that's the way it was. And because this was somewhat the rules of the game. That's correct. Most people abided by this knowledge, usually. Most of the guys, most of the gangbangers, they just took the ass whipping. And that was the end of it. It wasn't personal. So you went in the store. I mean, you didn't beat them until they had to go to the hospital. But you gave them some punches in the stomach, took them in, and then, you know, you bought them a soda, and, you know, they're going to jail. And, I mean, if they weren't assholes, sometimes, man, I, I'd buy them a sandwich. I mean, what's the big deal? It wasn't personal. That was the way it was out there. They knew the rules, and they broke the rules, so that's the way it was. Let me go back to this report or the paperwork. So the first time it happens, does someone tell you, well, Jerry, this is the way you should fill the paperwork out to protect yourself? Tell me about that a little bit. How does that happen? Uh, yeah. If you're new, senior guys are going to tell you, if you're working as a team, there's two or three of you, you're not going to let somebody fill out a report that makes everybody else and leaves everybody else open to, you know, to a criminal charge or worse, you know, losing their job and a criminal charge. Everyone's going to be on the same page. And all the reports are going to be pretty much verbatim because it's like, 
you're going to get together and write those reports. You cannot let some gangbanger cause you to lose your freedom or your career. These are not, you know, good people, uh, legitimate people with jobs and everything. These are thug gangbangers. And is it right? I don't know. I guess it's not. But that's the way it is out there. I mean, they know how it is. They're playing the game and, you know, that's it. They're going to win some days. Some days they're going to lose. You didn't invent these rules, obviously. This is stuff that's been established for decades. I didn't come on the police department and write a false report about an arrest or write a false report to from report to cover a complaint that I had to submit. It's not taught in the academy, that's for sure, but it's that's the way it is on the street. And that's the way it goes with everybody else. And you're kind of, you see, Neil, when you're out on the street, and you're a new guy and you see something go down and a guy takes an ass with him because he ran with a gun or he's fighting with the police, he's going to get hurt because if you're fighting with the police and those days have changed now, but in the old days, and I'm talking only in the eighties and nineties and or the early two thousands, actually probably up until probably 2015, 2016, things started to change in Chicago. But previous to that, all the way back from the inception of the city, the fucking police ran the city. And it might have changed. You know, the gangsters in the 20s and all that stuff. But truly, at one time, we had total autonomy over the city. You're going to lose battles. And a policeman might get beat up, might get stabbed, might get killed. But those fuckers are going to have hell to pay for that. And that, that area where that happened is going to have hell to pay for it. All those fucking gangbangers are going to fill the wrath of all the police in that area and from other areas that are put there to make sure they fill that wrath when you do that to a policeman. But nowadays, it's completely different. Things are out of control. But when I was on the job, you're not going to win every day, Neil. You're not going to go out there like you're the biggest, baddest motherfucker there is because you got a gun and a badge on. That's not how it works. There's guys out there going to fight you. They're going to they're gonna fight you. They don't care because they got to prove that they're tough and they got to prove that they ain't going to bow down but the police. That's not going to happen continually, but you'll come across those guys. And you'll come across those guys that are going to shoot at the police, but it is not. Back then, it is not as prevalent as it is now. Back then, the police would kick some ass, and the police would get their ass kicked. Well, you get on the horn on that radio and call for help because you're fighting with guys, and it's 90 degrees out, and this, and this fucking guy does not want to go to jail because he's got a bunch of dope tucked up in his ass, and he doesn't want you to find it, or he's got a gun hidden in his crotch. So he's fighting because he doesn't want to go to prison. So he's going to do what he has to do to get away from you. So you're going to be fighting and you're going to be tuckered out because you're fucking fighting, man. And it's, you know, you're sweating and this guy's sweating. And some of these guys, you know, they got some, you know, cream on and shit that's dripping all over and it's making them slippery. And it's like a fucking fish you're wrestling around with. So it's very difficult. You're going to get beefs and some of them are justified. I mean, but a lot of them were not. You cover your ass because they're gangbangers and you're the police. So if you have to lie, you're going to lie. And in this window of time, you 
start accumulating complaints? Mm-hmm. Correct. And you know, Neil, and this is what probably fucked my career up. I was put in for meritorious promotion a number of times. And, you know, for detectives. And my complaints killed me. They would not, the superintendent of police would not sign off, even though it went like up to the first deputy and he signed off. The superintendent of police would not sign off on my promotion to meritorious because of my complaints. It got to the point where I'm thinking, why the fuck am I out here doing this? Kicking in doors, chasing dudes with guns and all that shit, when basically it's hurt me. But it took a long time for me to figure that out. There's a website that I suspect you're aware of called the Citizens Police Data Project. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that one. It's got a cool heat map, but you've got 175 complaints. Yeah, well, my aspiration was always to be number one. That fucks your career up, Neil. And the sad thing about it is I had a very cavalier attitude about complaints. I didn't care. I wasn't going to let some motherfucking gangbanger talk to me on the street without getting his ass whipped and going to jail. So if I got a complaint out of that or some fucking guy mouthed off to me, I drag him off the porch and he was going to jail because you know what? Fuck you. You're not going to talk to me like that. I'm the police. And if you let that guy talk to you like that, every motherfucker on that block is going to talk to you like that. So in hindsight, I wish I would not have reacted like that. That's over. There's nothing I can do about that. How much of you not wanting someone to talk to you like that is police and how much of it is your DNA or the way you were raised? As a kid or even as a teenager, I never had that streak in me. If a policeman told you to do something, you did it. Uh, Growing up, that's the way it was. When I grew up in Bridgeport, we hung on the corners. If a cop came around, get off the corner. Okay. You got off the corner because otherwise the alternative was going to be you were going to get fucking a crack in the mouth. And it happened to me. A cop that I ran into late on the job. And I brought up that story where he slapped me across the face because he told me to get off the corner. And I walked around and then came right back. And he came back around and saw me, got out, gave me a slap, backhand. He says, oh, that was a long time ago. It's pretty funny. That's crazy. To me, it's crazy. When that happens, you go tell your parents? No, fuck no. My dad would have whipped my ass. And this guy's name is Gene Storino, a retired Chicago policeman. Worked in nine, then he went to eight. That's why I ran into him in eight. One day on the street, I was responding to a man with a gun call. My partner and, uh, and I looked at his name and I said, Storino, you remember me? And he's like, not really. And I go, I said, yeah, I grew up in Bridgeport when you were nine. You worked that, uh, that beat over there you know, where I used to hang on the corner and stuff. One day you gave me a backhand across his face. He goes, ah, that was a long time ago. Started laughing. It's like, fuck, you know, I'm looking at the guy. He's like five foot six. How'd you remember him? Neil, you're going to remember when someone fucking slaps you across the face, you know, backhand you, especially if he's a copper. So it wasn't hard to remember because you look, you're looking at him. You're looking at his name tag, you know, you know, and he just gave you a backhand. And what do you say? But when he gave you the backhand, you, you caught his name or you just remembered his face? No, I saw him before when he came walking up to me and then he fucking, I saw his name on his name tag, you know, because in Chicago, we wore those gold fucking name tags, with the black engraved into it. I don't know why they would put gold name tags on a police uniform, you know, it reflects light at nighttime and everything. It was kind of crazy. You know, so I remember, but I brought it up to him and I, I actually brought it up to his son too, who's a sheriff's detective now, Cook County Sheriff's Police Detective. But he used to be a patrolman on the street. And I saw him in a gas station one time. I saw his last name. And we were bullshit out in Palos Park. And I said, 
you have a dad named Gene? He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, did he work in nine and eight? He goes, yeah. And so I told him the story and he laughed his ass off. You know, when the police told you to do something, you did it. And here's the other thing I can't see on those complaints. When you are, like when I was working in the 7th District, when you're working in the 7th District or the 8th District, and you're hurting these motherfuckers, I mean, you're hitting their dope spots continually, and you're locking them up. We'd do a fucking sweep. We'd get a wagon, the paddy wagon. I'd go one time. I'm going to come to her again. If any of you motherfuckers are out here, you're going to jail. None of them lived on the block. Everybody who lived on the block couldn't come out there because these fuckers are selling dope on their block and are telling them to stay in their house. The next time we come through, we got a wagon, a bunch of cars. They're not running because they don't have anything on them. They're not stupid to have it on them. You just get out there. You got to fucking start cuffing them up. What's going on? They're saying, you're going to jail, motherfucker. I told you, get off the street. You don't live here. I know what you're doing out here. People are calling. Take them in the station. You would get complaints because these guys got tired of seeing you fuck with the same guys all the time. They would start having their sisters call, their girlfriends call, their baby mamas call. A lot of them were bullshit fucking complaints. But there's nothing you can do about it. As you just explained it to me, it's quite obvious it's part of the chess match. It is. They have another tool yes. to push back on you, yes. and they're going to do it. And it's an easy tool because all I got to do is have someone make a phone call. Right. Exactly. And the thing is, they can say anything. They're out here. He called me the N-word or this or that. They can make up any fucking thing, okay, because there's no audio. This is pre-cell phones. So they can say anything they want to say. So they're making a beef about it, you know, a complaint. And you're getting these complaints. And the city, even though they unfound them or exonerate you on them, they still keep them in your fucking file. My thing is, and the union, they're a bunch of fucking pussies. They're a bunch of assholes. These guys fucking take your money, but they don't want to do anything but do their push job in the fucking office, the union people. It's not even a union. It's a fraternal organization. Okay. They sleep with this city. This newest guy, Canazero, he's got some balls at least. But everybody before him, they were fucking useless. They never did anything. Nothing. But whatever the city gave them their marching orders, they did what they did. People might not know this, but the president of the union, the Fraternal Order of Police in Chicago, I uh, don't know if that works everywhere else in other cities, but the FOP in Chicago, the president and the first vice president, their salaries are supplemented by the Chicago Police Department, by the city of Chicago. Not only the union, but the city of Chicago. Plus, interesting. Plus, they have company cars, unmarked police cars that they are able to use any time of the day, any time of the night in their capacity as the union president and first vice president. So there's a lot of perks to being, you know, you know, the union people. So really and truly the union guys, they do shit for you. You know, I mean, you know, they'll send somebody out when there's a shooting and they'll do your reports and all that stuff. And they'll be in there and sit in and it's called the round table with the state's attorney and the street deputies, you're involved in the shooting. Other than that, they don't do shit. They take your fucking dues. And they have their golf things and their credit cards and whatever. They don't fight for the, the rank and file guy and go to the city and demand any of these complaints against you that are unfounded or not sustained be removed immediately from your record. 
they let them. Did you request them to do I this? I asked them. I asked them face to face a number of times. I go, why aren't these fucking CR numbers that are cleared removed from your record? Why does this? Thing? Well, they do. They do. They're, they don't hold them against you. I go, the fuck they don't because they still count. They still count in a running number. And it shouldn't be that way. If you have a sustained CR number where you take a you know, uh, suspension, that should be in your record. But, you know, all these other bullshit complaints and people laying in their fucking beds, making phone calls. Yeah, he called me the N-word or, hey, he did this. Talk, man. Anybody can make it to blame. It's an unfair system. Back to this window of time when you went back to the seventh for the second time, were you racking complaints? Mm-hmm. And you just, Absolutely. was it like a speedometer and you just didn't give a shit at this moment or? I didn't, I didn't really care, you know, because like I said, you know, it, it, you hear this from people, including bosses. If you're out there working, you're going to get complaints. You know, the bosses are always the first ones to say that. They love saying that because they're fucking bosses. They're not getting complaints, Neil. So they want you to go out there and get those guns. They want you to go out there and get those big arrests for dope and shootings and everything else. They're going to be prodding you on, oh, great job, and this and that. But they give two fucks about your career. They really don't. They're riding you like a fucking, like a fucking Bronco, man, or a thoroughbred. You're going to take them across the finish line and win the race for them because you're fucking making them look good when they sit at those meetings with the superintendent or the first deputy superintendent of police. They're saying, Commander Jackson. Your gun recoveries are down this quarter. What's going on? Well, superintendent, I'm, I'm our chief. You know, maybe they're talking to the chief patrol. Well, sir, you know, I'm, I'm addressing that, and uh, we're doing this and doing that. But when they're sitting there and they got a bunch of guns, Commander Samuelson in his district, 120 guns this quarter. So Samuelson is sitting there, you know, inside saying, yeah, fuck you guys. You know, I don't care about you. The pressure's off me. So that's what they aspire for. They want to look good in front of their bosses and they want you to go out and do what makes them look good. So they don't care about the complaints. I did not get a sustained complaint until I was indicted on the police department. What is a sustained complaint? A sustained complaint means that they found that you violated the rule or your actions were were not valid and that you violated the rules of the department by your behavior, whether it's for excessive force or whether it was for an illegal search. So all of the complaints I had, Neil, all of my bosses, those complaints were not ever sustained or I did not take a suspension on any of them. The first one I took a suspension on was after I got indicted by the state. And then immediately I got two sustained CR numbers or complaint register numbers. It was pretty, it was pretty funny. I mean, I, I just thought it was uh, how, how ironic that nothing is sustained against me when I'm out there getting all these guns and big seizures. But all of a sudden, now that I'm indicted, I get two back-to-back sustained CR numbers. One, false report on a gun recovery. The second one, insubordination and not following a uh, direct order by somebody from personnel after I was indicted. Almost as though they're starting to set you up. Well, I, I'm about setting it up. They want to make 
an example that all of this time I had never had a complaint sustained against me because my boss has covered my ass. Give me the guns, get those arrests, and nothing was sustained. Now I get indicted, two back to back within a week, come back sustained. So I just thought it was pretty ironic. You know, they didn't want to say, well, this guy never had any sustained CR numbers against him. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. They're starting to weaken the legs of the chair, you being the chair, so they can start building a case and turn on you. Yes. Basically, because all these complaints previous to that were never sustained. Because, Anil, I led the city in gun recoveries one year in SOS. I had 123 guns. That reflects on my boss and his boss. So you're going to give somebody time off who's going out and producing stuff for you and getting these numbers? No, that's not happening. It's handled in the house. The complaints are handled in your unit. Your sergeant serves you, goes to the lieutenant, the lieutenant signs off on it, and then it goes to the commander. The commander signs off on it, sends it to internal affairs or might have just changed the COPA, but I don't think it did. I think it's still OPS. But all of those were sent there on the recommendation of not sustained or exonerated by my command staff. I can hear how pissed off you are. I put myself in this situation. I'm the one that was out there saying, fuck you. And if a guy gave me shit, he's going to jail. But if he's going to fucking make an asshole on his street, he's going to get punched in the fucking stomach. Okay. I'm not going to beat him down, send him to the hospital, but he's going to know he's not going to fucking talk to me like that ever again when he sees me. And those guys on the street, there's five fucking witnesses. They're not going to say they saw me fucking punch him in the stomach because you know what? They don't want any of it either. And they don't want me coming over there fucking putting the fucking hammer down on them. Because I've told these guys, you are done selling dope on this block forever. I'll sit here and take my fucking lunch here. I'll read the newspaper here. I'll fucking take a fucking walk on the block. You'll never sell another fucking bag of dope out here. Do you understand? And they don't want that because then they ain't making any money. At a certain point, you build this reputation where people know you're coming or that when they see you, they don't want to tangle with you. Is this correct? Yeah, myself and, and the guys I worked with. Yes, absolutely. Because they were going to lose. They're going to jail. And they're going to get an ass whooping. You're not going to make me chase you because you ran with a gun or you ran with fucking 60 bags of rock uh, or, you know, 60 bags of heroin or heroin, like they like to call it. You are not going to fucking not get an ass whooping because it's 80 fucking 95 degrees out, 85 degrees out. And you're not going to make me sweat and fucking chase you for, for, for some bullshit dope. That's part of the game. So you're going to jail. You're going to get a punch in the stomach. Did you gain this footing once you were in SOS? And if so, was there a reputation for you guys citywide? Like, oh, these guys are going to come into our area and start cleaning house. Yeah. So it made me laugh because when I came home from prison, I was sitting there watching the news one time and I watched this guy who was a commander. I didn't know when. He worked as a patrolman in the 8th District on the tech team. He was a little fucking pansy. He went up the chain. I think he ended up actually being a commander and a deputy chief. He's on there, and he's telling some story 
to the news media that when these guys see cars come on the block, the 44s are coming. Well, the beat tags on the cars in special operations were 4,300 and 4,400 series. So this guy's taking credit for stuff that our unit did before he was even part of it. He's resting on, on the reputation that we were the ones that started it. Because when we came into these neighborhoods, they these guys are not stupid, Neil. This is what they do every day. They're out there selling fucking dope. They're out there carrying guns. And they look at those beat tags. And if they are in, like, the 6th District and they see 623, eh, maybe 623 is just going to drive by and not even look at them. But when they see 44, 64, or 44, 34, or whatever, they're going to fucking, their antenna is going to go up because they're like, who the fuck are these guys? What are, what are they doing over here? Especially when you see three or four cars, they know it's hot. And that's what we're out there. We're out there to fucking lock everybody up. Everybody's going to jail. It's out there doing bad. And the psychology of that is preventative too, because the reputation precedes itself and any level of fear that you can create mm -hmm. helps mitigate crime. It did. And it's funny because I'm not saying you had to go in there like fucking Genghis Khan. Every situation dictated how you would handle it. So I gave you those examples like these guys running and all that. Well, that's part of the game. But if you got out and these guys are not running and you're like, hey, tell us, step over here for a second. 99% of them are going to step over by you. Okay. You got anything on you that's going to hurt me? You're not supposed to ever cut me or stab me or anything. No. You sure? Yeah. Start searching them. They go along with the program because you're going to put your hands on them because you have to ensure your safety. Okay. That's called a Terry pat down. And that is the law. And it was, it was Supreme court law where you can go out and pat somebody down to make sure that they do not have a weapon on them and they can produce it and kill or hurt you. You're going to put your hands on them and make sure they don't have anything on them. So, and if they do kneel, they're not standing around for you to put your hands on them. A very, very seldom have I come across somebody who's had a gun on them and didn't run. They're stupid. Maybe they don't want to run. I don't know. But, or they're high. But it's happened. For the most part, someone's got a big amount of dope on them or a firearm on them. They're off to the races and you're chasing. You come across guys like that and they're going to act like gentlemen, you treat them like a gentleman. There's no, no need to put your, you know, no need to motherfuck them. No need to disrespect them in front of their friends. So what's that, what's up? Who lives over here? My aunt lives right there. Okay, well, why aren't you on your aunt's porch? We're just, we're just kicking it. We're, you know, we're having a couple beers and this and that or a couple shots or whatever. You know, smoking a little weed. Okay, big deal. You know, now if you would have told me 20 years ago, every motherfucking car you get behind smelling weed in regular traffic now, there's so much of it. The fact is you treated people the way they treated you. And those guys who were respectful and they knew what the game was and they played it right, there was no issues. All right, you guys act right and have a good night. That's all. I'm not saying 99% of them were probably out there doing the right thing, but that good fucking probably solid 1%, eh, maybe I'm being a little vague with the, the 1%, but there's a good percentage of them out there that were not fucking around, but there's a percentage out there that are, that are doing that dirty shit every day.
So you're coming across those, and those are the ones that are the assholes. And those are the ones that are going to give you a hard time. You're getting beefs no matter what. I don't give a fuck you stop somebody on a traffic stop, and they're having a bad day. Well, what are you stopping me for? Well, sir, he stopped you because you fucking rolled the stop sign. Yeah, you ain't got anything better to do? Well, actually, I do. But because you went through the stop sign in front of me, I got to stop you to make sure everything's right. And you're not getting a ticket. I mean, I don't tell them that, but they're not getting a ticket because I'm not going to traffic court. They're acting stupid. Fucking pull them out of the car, man. Step out. For what? Because I want to make sure everything's safe and right. You get a lot of beefs from people and the way they handle it, the city handle it. I think it was wrong because the ones that were bullshit, they should have been wiped off the books. But they keep a running tally and you're going to accumulate them. And uh, I guess I like the uh, gold medal winner, unfortunately. And the other thing I equate that to, there are guys who would encounter three people, four people a day on traffic stops, or maybe some people on domestics or, you know, missing person or damage to property report. And they give the report and they drive off. Have a good day. When you're stopping 50 cars a day, you're going to get some people that are unhappy. That's the way it is. You know, you're stopping 25, 30 dudes out on a corner or on the street on a block because they got an operation going and they're selling. You're going to have some people that are unhappy. The sheer numbers of encounters with people was huge, not only for me, but for all the guys in my unit, because we were the unit that was sent out there to do what we were doing. There's guys who go through their career and they'll get one complaint, but you know what? They're not doing any work. Look at their fucking background. Look at their statistics, which they keep. And you're not going to see anything. You're not going to see any department awards. Uh, you're not going to see any gun arrests. You're not going to see any homicide arrests, uh, you know, sizable narcotic seizures, because these guys are doing nothing. Maybe I should have been one of those guys that did nothing, but that wasn't the type of person I was. Okay, let's stop there. That's the end of Conversation 7. Stay with us for Conversation 8, because I think it's one of the more interesting details about a large-scale takedown by Jerry. It involves one of the more notorious Chicago street gangs and how he was able to, through his methods, flip one person, which ultimately led to the takedown and removal of hundreds of illegal guns off the streets of Chicago and brought about positive results in other areas through smart policing. It's a great story, one you don't want to miss. Stay with us. Thank you for listening.